hearing creaks coming from your closet. Rustling outside your window. window. Did you hear guttural woots or wood knocks deep in the woods during your last camping trip? Ever seen strange lights in the sky? Ever feel like someone or something is in the room with you? Rest assured, you are not alone. We are not alone. Take a dive into the strange, unusual, and hauntingly true. You've stumbled upon the Line Begins to Blur podcast. Join your host, Chris G., as he explores the paranormal, cryptid sightings, supernatural events, along with a little true crime from the past and present. Hey, hello and welcome back to another fun-filled episode of the Line Begins to Blur podcast. I'm your host, Chris G, and joining me today is our guest host with the most, Tim Berger. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There he is. Let's go. Hey, Tim, what's going on, my man? Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, thank you for inviting me over again. Been looking forward to this. Nah, man, thank you, dude. You uh, you don't realize how much uh, impact you uh, bring to this podcast, man. Because with me, it's a it's a little snoozy, but at least you bring in you interject some fun, man. So thanks for joining in. Well, sometimes when you're listening at home, you could say it's otherworldly. Oh, <laughs> so uh, I got a quick question for you, man. So um, I'm, hey, look. Quick question. So, where you been, man? Where you been? Where you, what you been up to, man? I haven't, haven't. Uh, well, I'm pretty sure our fans kind of want to know. You don't have to give us all the details, but uh, you know, where you been, man? Well, kind of like uh, Barney and Betty over here, man. I got abducted, and uh, you know, I was kind of putting in some, uh, putting in some work in, uh, in the old uh, reticuli over there. But um, so yeah, you know, he's been preparing at uh, these shows, so we got a lot of. Great episodes coming up for everybody here. So we just had kind of rejoined, regroup here, and we're back at it. So yes, yeah. All seriousness aside, I mean, all jokes aside, all seriousness, man. Yeah, uh, like I said, really been kind of really focused, and I think we have a lot of really good subject matter that we're going to be covering this season. And uh, um, I, I, you know, again, looking forward to any any input you guys have, man. Just let us know what you think. If you like what you hear, please be sure to comment. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so uh, so tell me, Tim Berger, what is it that you hooked us up with here to start this uh, podcast off with? All right, so uh, today we are drinking a raspberry mead. This is um, Chaucer's raspberry mead. I'm pretty sure that uh, this was from the uh, what uh, wine warehouse or Wines or Us or whatever. Uh, Total Wines. Total Wines Total and more. Wines, okay, yeah. all right, I got you. Yeah, so I don't know if you've those of you listening that ever had mead before but mead is a old uh, irish celtic drink yeah and uh this they gave this away at the wedding irish weddings i i, I my memory is clouding now but just correct me if i'm wrong uh, I, yeah it, it's it, it historically was yeah it's a wedding drink and it's a basically honey wine so uh yeah it's typically it, very sweet you you had to have grown up on this uh, to to appreciate this because this tastes like just. Ugh. So I feel like we've had mead before and it was it was an interesting flavor. Yeah, I'm not gonna say it was the worst, but I'm not gonna say it was the best. Uh, it was definitely interesting, but um. So when Tim brought this down, I figured yeah. you know what, let's kind of ease the pain a little bit. So I threw it in the good old uh, refrigerator, refrigerator. 
and oh. uh, got it a little chilled up. So let's see how this goes. Oh, this is rough. Cheers. Oh, you're excited. If you can, if you can imagine, because okay, basically, if I remember, when you get married back in the Celtic days in Ireland, they give it, they, they give you this mead after the um, uh, the wedding. Um, for a couple moons or um, several moon uh, uh, showings, so that way it increases fertility. Ah. So you're you're pretty. <laughs> I I just can't imagine drinking this after a wedding. Anyway, and so uh, <laughs> mead is where the word honeymoon came from, because it has something ah. to yeah it has something to do with the moons and and you're supposed to drink it in the moon showing in the moon or something like that. But anyway, yeah, so this is the origination of the word honeymoon. So I guess you drink this uh, awful honey wine, and then I guess you're so uh, taken by this awful taste. It's like, well, we might as well uh, try to... <laughs> Dude, why? Well, it makes sense, man. It, you know, it makes more sense now when you explain it like that. Okay, you know what? So in tasting this... Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so this one, uh, no offense to him, I think is a little better than the last one. Oh, this is... It, 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 it has more of a wine Ugh. taste very sweet it's very sweet for sure um i i personally don't taste any of the raspberry yeah it smells it smells like um putrid like three-year-old honey and yeah if you could imagine um pouring water over a trash can and then distilling it that's pretty much what we're drinking right now so yeah well <clears throat> <laughs> All right, well, interesting. You know, you can check that one off the bucket list. Been there, done that. Raspberry mead. Check. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> All right, guys. Well, hey, um, thanks for bringing the mead, Tim. Appreciate it. And thanks for letting us know the, the backstory of mead. And I'm sure uh, none of us wanted to know, but now that we do, we're better people. We're better off. As so. broken as it was. <laughs> Yay. Um, All right, well, hey. All right, guys, before we hop aboard the mothership and get into this, let's start off with the, you got it, the good old World Weirdly News. Let's Weirdly do Weirdly News, yes. yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. World Weirdly News. More than 300 smuggled tarantulas, giant cockroaches, and a scorpion were just seized at a Colombian airport. Colombia has confiscated more than 11,000 specimens in 2021 alone, with this particular cargo including 232 tarantulas, 8 scorpions, 67 cockroaches, and 9 spider eggs. Officials at Colombia's El Dorado International Airport in Bogota just intercepted hundreds of wild spiders and insects being illegally smuggled out of the country. They discovered the creatures stored inside plastic containers that two Germans had hidden in their suitcases. Hans, 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 yeah, Hans, Hans, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I have, <laughs> I have an idea for a vacation this year. Uh, pandemic's been on. Uh, what should we do, Hans? I'm oh. craving spider eggs and bacon. Uh, we go to Colombia, uh, yeah. Hans. Yeah, <laughs> what? Who does this? I don't know, man. Apparently, uh, the, the the Third Reich wasn't uh, providing enough. Uh, protein in their shit in their diet we uh we we go to colombia yeah yeah and, and forget about coffee yeah you hans know, funny thing is i uh, when i went to i've been in colombia and i went to bogota so, uh, funny to say i wonder if i was eating any uh tarantula eggs or anything back there <laughs> food was uh definitely uh uh local 
Officials detained the two Germans on December 2nd as they were attempting to board their flight home to Europe. In total, airport security officials discovered 232 tarantulas, a scorpion, and seven offspring, nine spider eggs, and 67 giant cockroaches. While the German nationals claimed to be transporting these creatures to Germany for research purposes, they lacked any official permits or documentation to make their international transport illegal. Anyway, all right, let me just go. It's, no, it's no, none, none uh, of this makes any sense. None of this makes, I mean, research, research, okay, 232 tarantulas. And it, how did they even expect to hide that? I, and not only that, dude, but I mean, if there's a demand, you would think you need more than just 237, right? Okay, so I deal with the, I deal with this uh, type of thing a lot. And, and like you just said, it needs a lot of paperwork. So if it's for research, Hans and Franz, right? We go to, to Colombia for research, right? If it's for research, why sneak it past? Well, obviously, it wasn't for research because they didn't have the paperwork. Yeah, so I'm going to call a big, giant, fat BS on that one. But uh, yeah, okay, let's go. Well, I guess the moral of the story is when in Germany, don't eat the fucking spider eggs. Okay, gang. I'm here at Skinwalker Valley Crematorium. We are investigating reports of paranormal activity here. All right, stick around and let's see if we can debunk the reports. Uh. Hey. Okay. Hello. Is there anyone or anything here with me right now? Hello. I repeat. Is there anyone or anything here with me right now? Oh, wow, man. Whoa, did you hear that? Whoa, I got a response. Oh, man, that's awesome. Oh, man. must do what and what if I don't what, what will happen oh man tell me what is it what is it that I must do if I don't go. hide to 
Devilshide.com. I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. What will happen if I don't go to Devilshide.com? Spirit, what will I lose if I don't go to devilshide.com? I can't take much more of this, man. I must know. What will I lose? Devil's Hide have partnered up with the Line Begins to Blur podcast to offer you sinisterly cool apparel and accessories. We are a brand focusing on horror, paranormal, rockabilly, and sugar skull graphic tees and accessories. We love all things creepy, geeky, and cheeky, and because of this, we often found it challenging to find cool threads to express our unique taste. We figured we wouldn't be the only ones to have this problem, so we created Devil's Hide Subculture Threads. We have some of the coolest designs and hard-to-find graphic tees in the afterlife. We only offer the highest quality garments available to print on. Now rest assured, not in peace, you will love your gear from devilshide.com. We offer unique men's, women's tees, tanks, and hoodies. We also offer children's sizes for most of our killer designs. Speaking of sizes, our men's slash unisex tees and hoodies are offered in sizes up to 4 and 5 extra large. As a special offer to the Line Begins to Blur podcast listeners, we are offering a special discount code to save 20% off your purchase. Just go to www.devilshigh.com. That's www.devilshigh.com and use Blur20 at checkout to apply the discount. Trust me, you will not regret it. Thanks for giving us a minute to share this with you, and we will now let you get back to the podcast. Cheers. Betty Hill, now 78, who fondly referred to as the grandmother of UFO abductees, will not make the 50th anniversary of Roswell. But her belief that a flying saucer went down in that desert has never wavered. In many ways, she says, it was just an ordinary UFO crash carrying travelers much like those who encountered Betty and her deceased husband, Barney. September 19, 1961. Barney and I'm driving home from Montreal. Saw a strange light in the sky. We changed directions, came in, started following us. In an area known as Indian Head, it came out over the highway, stopped in midair. And Barney got out with the binoculars in an attempt to identify this craft. You know the old-fashioned straw hats that men used to wear? The flat crown and the brim? That's what it was shaped like. And then along one side, it had a big, big picture window. And it was had uh, dividers in it. And as he's looking up at it, and he could see people 
standing in the windows looking down at him. And the craft began to descend. And he had the feeling they were trying to kidnap him. He ran back to the car. He was speeding down the highway to avoid capture. And then later, they were standing in the middle of the road, blocking our way. Barney and Betty Hill were an American couple who claimed that they were abducted by extraterrestrials in a rural portion of the state of New Hampshire from uh, between the dates of September 19th and 20th in 1961. It was the first widely publicized report of an alien abduction in the United States. The incident came to be called the Hill Abduction and the Zedi Reticuli Incident. Betty and Barney Hill, here we go! Better than Barney Rubble, because then you're in trouble. So, <laughs> because the star map shown to Betty Hill could possibly be the Zedi Reticuli system, according to some researchers, uh, the story was adapted in the best-selling 1966 book, The Interrupted Journey, and the 1975 television film, The UFO Incident. Okay, there's got to be plenty of bell-bottoms in that. Oh, yeah, and you, There's got to be bell-bottoms, and there's got to be, like, really curly, like, Farrah Fawcett hair. Oh, yeah, dude, there's big hair. And, and you know who plays uh, Barney Hill? Mr. Of your father. What? Yeah, dude. Uh, James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. He gets ah, the yeah. Yeah, he played this okay. guy. Yeah. So okay. when yeah. I when I heard that, I was like, you know what? I gotta check this out. You know, okay. check it out. Oh, you saw it? No, no, not yet. I'm looking forward. I though. I, I didn't know about this book. Uh, I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. So um so yeah, definitely interested, man. Um okay, so in recent years plans have been announced for a movie and possibly a TV series based on the incident, although so far nothing has been produced. Alright, I'm gonna call BS <laughs> in that as well, only because um there's several uh promised movies about Roswell, about Bob Lazar. Uh yeah. I, we haven't seen any of them. I heard that they were gonna do um an art bell. His, his uh, documentary and stuff. I thought that'd be interesting, but clearly nothing's come of it. So, um, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, we, we we probably wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for Art Bell. So, I mean, you know, as far as contributions are concerned um, to the ufology community and the ufologists, um, he's contributed so much. So, I'd love to see that film. I mean, dude, for sure. And like, I I remember what started me on this. Like, I think the first pod or, or podcast or his his uh his interview where he heard the gates from hell. Have you ever heard that? Um, no. Yeah, that that was crazy. I think you can find that on YouTube. That's where I found it initially, but uh, I was able to find audio of that years and years ago. I don't know where it is now, but way back in the day, I was able to find that. Yeah, it's, it's scary, man. It's definitely interesting. <clears throat> Most of Betty Hill's notes, tapes, and other items have been placed in the permanent collection of the University of New Hampshire. Um, that was her alma mater. Um, in July 2011, the New Hampshire Division of Historical Resources marked the site of the alleged craft's first approach with a historical marker. Road trip. Yep. So if you go check it out, you apparently will see something there. So let's go. Yeah, man. Hey, let's do it. Let's do a uh, let's do a, a podcast from there. We should do that. Oh, that'd be cool. It only costs us what. Five thousand dollars. Yeah, bare minimum at least, at yeah, least, no. just to look at a at a you know marker. So Tim, why don't you go ahead and let us know a little bit of the background here, if you can? The Hills lived in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Nice. Barney was employed by the United States Postal Service, while Betty was a social worker. Was that how he met her? Was he delivering a package? Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Betty was active in the uh, local Unitarian congregation. The Hills were also me- members of the NAACP and community leaders, and Barney sat on a local board of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. 
They were an interracial couple at a time when it was particularly uncommon in the United States. Barney was black and Betty was white. Yeah, it's it's funny too because uh, when I was doing my research on this, that was part of it. Like, <clears throat> you know, a lot of people are saying, "Oh, they just were looking for fame and fortune and whatever." And it's like, nah, man, this they were in a town and in a time when it wasn't New cool. Hampshire. Yeah, where it wasn't cool to be interracial. And the last thing I'm sure they wanted was to have attention on them. You know, people people have died, you know, for being uh, interracial. For uh, what's that uh, song? Anchors away, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I mean, you know this already, but uh, my grandmother was white, and obviously my grandfather was black. Uh, I'm gonna guess that they got married when around. The, was this around the '60s, right? Yeah. Is, yeah. So they probably got married in the like late '50s, early '60s. Yeah, that yeah. Yeah. Her her family wasn't none too happy about that, I'm sure. So I'm I'm yeah. This uh but I gotta say though, NAACP, I mean, you know, that that's that's quite the achievement there. So yeah, you know, hats off to them. You know, funny thing is when I'm doing my research on these guys, so apparently they were both married before to somebody else. Uh Barney was uh, serving in the military, and I guess he had an uh, he had an accident where he uh, blew his teeth out. There was a ouch. Yeah, there was an incident with a hand that grenade, sucks. and I guess mm. because of it, all his teeth got knocked out. So he was wearing mm. dentures. And ouch. Betty, she was married with somebody else, and uh, apparently that didn't pan out none too much. So she decided to, you know, get a little stuck on you. <laughs> yeah, so she had jungle fever, <laughs> jungle fever going on. <laughs> Uh, when Barney was delivering the package, man. No, uh, all jokes is I think they met at church. I think that, <laughs> so, you know, sorry, sorry. But yeah, they, they met in church and I think that's how that shit went down. Um, but yeah, so <clears throat> according to a variety of reports given by the Hills, the alleged UFO sighting happened around 10.30 p.m. on September 19th in 1961. Chris, I'm, I'm just going to guess. Yeah. I'm going to venture here. I'm going out on a limb. This happened in a place where nobody was else was at. I'm just gonna guess. Big shocker, right? Big shocker. Oh, you know, like you know, funny how that always happens. That's always <laughs> the case. It's not like it's in the middle of a packed football arena. You know, it wasn't during the Super Bowl. You know that. Um, <clears throat> but no, I guess they were coming back from uh, Niagara Falls. Uh, they were on vacation and. Uh, they were, it, I guess it, it happened just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire. Um, Betty claimed to have observed a bright light up in the sky that um, apparently just looked, at first they thought was like a like a falling star. No. But uh, it just started, it started moving upwards. And that's when she was like, whoa, what the hell is okay, that? Okay, hey, it's New what? Hampshire. What do they have there, cheese? <laughs> no, it's not a falling star. Fine. Okay, I, I'll let you go, but no. Well, I mean, I'm not buying it. It also depends, man. You know, you drink some of those curds and whey. You know, you let it kind of, <laughs> you, you, you kind of let that ferment a little bit. You might get a little. Uh, no, nothing's happening in New Hampshire. I'm sorry. No, it's not a falling star. <laughs> well, okay, I agree with you, but uh, but because it's you know because it moved kind of erratically and grew bigger and brighter, um, you know, Betty kind of was telling Barney, hey, 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 come on, let's stop, let's take a, let's take a closer look. Um, they also they had their dog, which you know Betty was like, "Hey, we also got to walk the dog. You know, he's got to he's got to take a shit." So, you know, <laughs> just because we cool don't mean he be cool. So you know, let's 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 do this. So I guess Barney decided to stop at a scenic picnic area just south of twin of the Twin Mountains. <clears throat> and when that happened, um, you know, 
Betty, she started looking through binoculars. She observed an odd-shaped craft flashing multicolored lights, and she saw it travel across the face of the moon. Her sister, several years earlier, had said she had seen a flying saucer. Betty thought it might be what she that she thought that's what she would be observing at that point. Um, and you know, she's checking it out through binoculars. The yep, yep. I mean, is the okay a UFO? Don't they go like like a thousand miles an hour or something like that? Well, they can unless they're hovering, you know, so they might be in the middle of like a little prodding, a little poking or a little observing. So I guess, right. it, yeah, no, I mean, you, you, you bring a good point. Like if you see it moving, chances are it's going to it's going to zoom right on out. Right. Pretty quick, because that's what you hear all the time, that they uh, move quicker than any other uh, aircraft. Possible. Body, yeah. body, grab my binoculars. <laughs> Put the cheese down, body. I think I see something. I see. I, I see. it. Brad the binoculars, body, come on! Look, it's not a cow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Man. So I I'm guess sorry. at that part, uh, Barney, <laughs> or, or I guess as he's known, Barney, <laughs> he heard what he reasoned was a commercial airliner traveling towards Vermont on its way to Montreal. Oh God, really? Now, you know, well, I mean, he's military. You know, he. You know, he kind of was trying to make Nothing's it like, in New you know. Hampshire. Not even commercial. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'll stop. I'll so stop. I guess, however, he soon changed his mind because without looking at it, uh, uh, the craft rapidly descended towards his direction. Like he's like he aimed right at him, made a beeline straight for him. Um, this is the observation that caused Barney to realize, whoa, this is not a plane. It is it's moving way too differently than any plane. So mm -mm. they quickly returned to the car and drove towards um, Franconia Notch. It's a narrow mount mountainous stretch of the road. Um, uh, Chris, we've all heard of that. Right? Who hasn't been to Franconia Notch? I, I mean, mean come on. I've gotten a few postcards from there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's my it's on my bucket list of must go to locations. I'm just saying AAA magazine last last uh, month you know, Franconia Notch, guys. They have that uh, newsletter, you know, 10 points of interest in the Franconia <laughs> Notch. I'm sorry. Book your ahead. vacation now to AAA with a discount. <laughs> and get your tires rotated while at it. And, um, all right. So <clears throat> I guess they continued on the isolated road um, and it was they were moving pretty slowly uh, in order to observe the object. Um, but then I guess it seemed to get closer to them. Um, at one point, the object passed above a restaurant and a signal tower on top of the Cannon Mountain. It came to rest near an old man in the mountain. <laughs> Which makes no sense to me, but all right. What's so, the mountain in closer encounters of the third kind? Uh, the, uh, Devil's Cove or something? Yeah. Devil's Mountain or something like yeah. that? But was it next to Devil's Cove? Well, it's funny. All these places, all these stories have a mountain and they all have like ominous names. Old Man of the Mountain, Cannon Mountain. When, when Betty and Barney arrived, did it go? Doo, 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 doo. Well, since Barney was black, it was all, I do, 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 oh, do. Lord. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was trying to make it do up. Apparently I suck. So <clears throat> anyway, uh, Betty testified that it was at least one and a half times the length of a granite cliff profile, which was about 40 feet, 40 feet long, and that it seemed to be rotating. The couple watched as the silent, illuminated craft moved erratically and bounced back and forth in the night sky. Buddy, buddy, look! That's gotta be about like 40 feet, don't you think? Give me Put some cheese. Put the cheese down, buddy! You want a look. Danish? Betty, you want some Danish? 
Look through the binoculars, Barney! <laughs> so, about a mile south of Indian Head, they said the object, the object rapidly descended towards their vehicle. This caused Barney to stop in the middle of the highway. The huge silent craft hovered about 80 to 100 feet above the hills. They were driving in a 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air. Oh, and Barney, use Charmer! Yeah, dude, he's got the he's got the muscle, man. American muscle going that, on right that there. That thing drank like a gallon of gas just to start it, man. You know, I I take one right now though. Those are American muscle, man. That shit. Oh heck yeah! You clean it up. California's Jeez. going all electric now. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to have a Bel Air right now, dude. Start that in front of uh, I won't say that, but <clears throat> start that in front of our mayor's office. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> So um, I guess the this thing was so huge it filled the entire field of view of the windshield. Um, he said uh, Barney said it reminded him of a huge pancake. Right, Barney, you got pancakes? Really? Where's the syrup? <laughs> we got the butter. <laughs> so I guess he's carrying. He's, he apparently carried a pistol in his pocket. You know, again, ex-military. Thank you. Right. Okay, the only black guy of the story. We have guns, right? <laughs> Thanks a lot, Chris. You had to mention that part of the story. Heck we yeah. Can, how, how often are black guys in the UFOs news? Wow. Huh? And then we get mentioned. What? Oh. Well, maybe you it was what? UFO. Maybe it was UFO liquors Stand and wine. That, that's what it was. UFO liquors and wine, right? No? No? Too late? Liquors? Oh. Too God. soon? Oh, okay. Well, I, I guess it's the mead. Barney claimed that he got to see about 8 to 11 humanoid figures. And that they were peering out of the craft's windows. They seemed to be looking at them, all in unison. But one of the figures moved to what appeared to be a panel on the rear wall of the hallway that encircled the front portion of the craft. The one remaining figure continued to look at Barney and communicated a message telling him to stay where you are and keep looking. So now I have, I do have a question for you. So now are these the greys? Are these the reptilians? Are these the... Uh, um I don't know. They, they. I mean, for, we're going to be doing a podcast episode where we talk about all the different yeah. subvariants of aliens. So we got a lot of research to do. But hey, it, it could have been the, could have been the blues. It could have been the, the greens. We don't know. Because I think now, just correct me on this if I'm wrong. The the greys are more the technical ones, and then the reptilians are more the they're the drones of the grace am i right yeah or, and or? they're the ones that are assimilating within our our people you know when you they're the ones that have the the rubber people face masks no that's the anunnaki oh the anunnaki. Right? no no the anunnaki right? are, no those are the giants those are the old giants the anunnaki were like the the huge giant aliens back in the day the retip, re, uh, reptilians are the ones that are they're uh kind of like moving within culture and civilization wearing people masks and you know them because you've seen video where their eyelids when they blink they blink sideways oh yeah yeah my ex-girlfriend uh, she might fit that profile <clears throat> did you uh were you able to get the mask off <laughs> <laughs> so um barney had a recollection of observing the humanoid forms wearing glossy black uniforms and black caps now that right there tells me eh, Uniforms, really? Hey, Uniforms. Big Bluff and me floor. We're going to a baseball game on Earth. You got your cap? You got your black cap? All right, it's only three million miles to uh, uh, get the galaxy, the Milky Way. What are we called? Milky Way Galaxy or Zeta Reticuli. That's not a do that's not a Dodger's hat. Okay, 
And be sure to bring the glossy black uniform, not the matte one, no. but bring the glossy one. All right, we want to look good. We want to make. We want to turn some heads. Got my over tights here. on, man. If I'm covered with Zeta Tequila, I heard those Earth ladies, man. I mean, you it was know. the '60s. Well, uh, and yeah, and they were pre- hot in the '60s. They were pretty natural back then too. All oh, yeah. natural. Who was hot? So I'm not gonna say Karen Carpenter. She was pretty, but she wasn't hot. Joni Mitchell. She wasn't. She um, wasn't hot. What about uh, Jane Fonda? Oh yes, yeah. Duran Duran. Ah yes, yes. yes. Gal- mm. Galaxina. Okay, all right. Uh, Raquel Welch back then, dude. Mm. You know, not- okay. Sophia Loren. So honestly, dude, even when I saw her in Grumpy Old Man, dude, whew, she's hot, hot for an oldie. And the uh, genie <coughs> from I, L- I Dream of Genie. Oh, uh, yeah. I what forget was- her name now. Barbara uh, something. Barbara. She- oh wait, the sixties. Uh, Marianne and uh, Ginger. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you know, hey, we're going to we're going to the Milky Way Galaxy. You know, we got to put your your shiny black tights on. There you go. Okay. Then they wear the cap backwards though, since they were meeting Barney. It's like, hey, hey, yeah, they Barney. got they had to keep it hood, man. They might have worn it to the side even, you know. Barney, yo, man, hey, Barney, <laughs> we threw like we flew like three million miles to see you, bro. Anyway, I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. Hey, Barney, you got that old English? <laughs> No. Oh, oh, oh! You got that mead? Oh, okay, yeah, well, okay, that'll do. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> I come over after what two years of the pandemic, and you give me raspberry mead. Anyway, whatever, dude. Hey, it could be worse, man. It could be worse. I could be wearing my glossy black uniform. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> All right, so I guess red lights are uh, on what appear to be a bat wing. Wait, bat wing in the moon? Yeah, dude. Michael Keaton. Tim Burton. They're the Dark Knight. Anyway, whatever. Sorry, took another sip of that mead. Um, so I guess uh, red lights on what appeared to be batwing fins began to telescope out the sides of the craft, and a long structure dis- descended from the bottom of the craft. The silent craft approached to what Barney estimated was within 50 to 80 feet from uh, where they were overhead and 300 feet away from him. On October 21st of 1961, Barney reported to National Investigations Committee. NICAP, baby. NICAP on aerial phenomena, investigator Walter Webb, that the beings were somehow not human. Barney tore the binoculars away from his eyes and ran back to his car. In a near hysterical state, he told Betty, hey, they're going to capture us. The <laughs> So I think he was more scared, not that they were going to capture them. I think he was more scared because he got, saw guys in tights. Yes. Yeah. Glossy yeah. black tights. Glossy black tights, yeah, man. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I, I'd probably be running for my life too. I mean, come on. Maybe they had some jungle fever as well, man. <laughs> <laughs> Barney might be looking good. Yeah. Oh lord. So Barney tore the binoculars away from his eyes and ran back to his car in a near hysterical state. He told Betty, "They're going to capture us." He saw the object again shift its location to directly above the vehicle. He drove away at high speed, telling Betty to look for the object. She rolled down the window and looked up, and almost immediately the hills heard a rhythmic series of beeping or buzzing sounds, which they said seemed to bounce off the trunk of their vehicle. The car vibrated, and a tingling sensation passed through the hills' bodies. Oh, I wonder what that must have been like. That, that, okay. They were in pleasure mode. A UFO is chasing you. A UFO is chasing you. And you had time to roll the window down. Really? What is that going to do? I mean, this thing came millions of miles to come get you. That's true. Oh, wait, you know what? Hey, hey, roll the window. <laughs> lock the door. 
put put those three millimeter millimeters of glass between us. That'll save us. For Unless sure. they're the science aliens that can't open doors. Well, they had our time with it apparently. That's why they got their finger cut off. What is the window gonna do? <laughs> well, not only that, uh, uh, but they they travel billions and billions of miles across the galaxy. Why? Come be your personal vibrator. <laughs> yes. Let honey, me give you tingly. The aliens don't want to hear the carpenters. Roll the windows up. Roll it up. Roll it up. But Patty, I got all the Beatles tapes. Oh, did they have tapes back then? Uh, I tracks. got all my, be- my Beatles eight tracks, Patty. Hey, give me my cheese. <laughs> I'm running out over here. Look, it's a pancake. <laughs> I'm seeing pancakes, Patty. <laughs> they're not. They're not going to look like cheese. So the hills said that then they experienced the onset of an altered state of consciousness that left their minds dulled. Apparently, they smoke pot with these guys. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the good stuff. A second series of beeping or buzzing sounds returned the couple to full consciousness. They found that they had traveled nearly 35 miles south, but only had vague spotty memories of this section of road. Now, they also recalled making a sudden sharp unplanned turn, encountering a roadblock, and observing a, f- an, an observing a fiery orb in the road. Boy, those unplanned turns, they really get you sometimes. I'm telling you, man, I've turned into many things, and uh, some have worked out for the better, but most have worked out for the worse. I'm going to go off on a tangent here, and uh, I, I, I'm i just saying if, and, and please do not get mad at me for saying this, I'm just saying what if. What if they just wanted to dis- distract everybody's families away from the fact that they were an interracial couple well i mean it's possible either that or we don't like the fact that you married a black man we don't like the fact that you married a white woman ah hey you know what we did last week we saw a ufo (laughs) that's true that's true you know it's possible it's definitely possible now of course now don't don't get me wrong i'm not insensitive i'm just saying that might be one of the reasons why anyway i'm sorry go ahead go ahead so immediate aftermath tim why don't you go ahead and let us know about that oh okay yeah i got you i got you so okay they arrived home about dawn the hills assert that they had had some kind of odd sensations and impulses that they could not readily explain betty insisted their luggage be kept near the back door rather than the main part of the house their watches would never work again barney said that the leather strap for the binoculars was torn Though he could not recall it tearing. Boy, that's evidence, Chris. Well, yeah. That's evidence. Yep. If I ever saw one of UFOs, you know, torn shirt, man. Look, this my shirt's torn. Hey, Barney, why is my leather strap torn, Barney? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, oh, man, this is overwhelming evidence here. The, the, the toes of his best dress shoes were scraped. Barney says he was compelled to examine his genitals in the bathroom, though he found nothing <laughs> unusual. I know I've been chased by aliens. First thing I want to do is run in the bathroom and manhandle my junk. And I know that's the first thing that comes to mind. I guess I'm not alone in that. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. They took long showers to remove possible contamination and each drew a picture of what they had observed. What's with the... 
I'm sorry, this doesn't make any sense. I, it's just kind of like, all right, look, look. We're gonna take a shower. We're gonna take a shower. And even though we've never drawn before, we're gonna draw this right now. But the shower is important. Yeah, you, you apparently want to get rid of the essence of Alien, you know? Like. We're gonna watch Bob Barker real quick. <laughs> Take a shower, then we're going to draw what we saw. Well, actually, back then, I don't think it was Bob Barker. I think it was, uh, uh, what was his name? The um, Dean something? The Dean Martin Richard, show, maybe? Richard, uh, uh, the, the Perplexed. The Hills said they tried to reconstruct the chronology of the events as they had witnessed UFO and drove home. But immediately after they heard the buzzing sounds, their memories became incomplete and fragmented. After smoking that pot, buddy, remember they got they were feeling. But it's the sixties. Yeah. Hey, man. Hey, pass the Ducci, man. (laughs) (laughs) After sleeping for a few hours, Betty awoke and placed the shoes and clothing she had worn during the drive in her closet, observing that the dress was torn at the hem. Whoa! Over overwhelming UFO evidence. Apparently, aliens wanted to get a little freaky deaky deaky. Oh gosh. Betty must have been hot, man. They, they wanted her apparently Jeez. later when she retrieved the items from her closet she noticed a pinkish powder on her dress she hung the dress on her clothesline and the pink powder blew away now I wonder if that was Colombian but the <laughs> Zeta no that was that was pure Zeta reticulin right sure, there, man. Hey, hey I wonder how they sure. mulled that over <laughs> They didn't have to pass through customs. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Maybe it's tarantulas. Dude, apparently the uh, the narcos are the territories are spreading out, man, across the galaxy and stuff. <laughs> so, but the dress was irreparably damaged. She threw it away, but then changed her mind, retrieved the dress, and hung it in her closet. Over the years, five laboratories have conducted chemical and forensic analysis on the dress. Now, you know, there's an interesting story about that. So, real quick, I'm going to take a detour. I'm sorry. All good. Um, there's a place in Mexico, um, the Efe, or Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yes. It's called uh, Basilica. Plaza Basilica. And they have... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they have they have uh, what's uh, Santo... One of the saint's cloaks, where they had done um, research on his cloak... That was uh, determined to be undeterminable material. Anyway, I don't want to get too far into that because we already talked about that in another podcast. So, uh, oh yeah, okay, yeah, scratch that. Yeah, so sorry about that. Anyway, these were shiny concentric circles on their. There were shiny concentric circles on their car's trunk that had not been there the previous day. Betty and Barney experimented with a compass, noting that when they moved it. to close to spots, the needle would whirl rapidly. But when they moved it a few inches away from the shiny spots, it would drop down. Listen here, Betty. Listen here, Betty. <laughs> what we're gonna do, I'm gonna prove to you that we saw the UFO last night. We fall, we saw the UFO. You take that cheese, that new hamster cheese. Okay, put it over there. Barney. Put it over there. Okay, the cheese moves, we saw UFOs. The cheese doesn't move. No UFO. Huh? Hey, it was just a pancake, all right? It was a bad pancake. It was no UFO. Come on. Come on, Betty. Come over here. Let me... Let's have some jungle love. Uh, but, I mean... 
think about it. I mean, are they trying to imply that it was radioactive? You know, I don't know. What? Okay. Well, here's my thing. Here's my thing. So, had they have heard? Had they heard of UFO investigations before? That's my thing. Because why yeah. bring the compass out? What are they trying to prove at this point? Because did they at this point believe that it was a UFO, or were they just kind of like, what happened? I that that's kind of what I'm a little bit. So yeah, apparently I guess they you know their memories were kind of spotty. So they're you know, just trying to figure it out, or either that, or they're trying to put their story together, depending on which way you roll the dice, right? On September 21st, Betty telephoned Peace Air Force Base to report the UFO encounter. Though for fear of being labeled eccentric, she withheld some of the details. I mean, again, keep in mind, interracial marriage at a time when this wasn't kosher. Oh, boy. All right. So on September 22nd, Major Paul W. Henderson telephoned the Hills for a more detailed interview. Henderson's report dated September 26th determined that the Hills had probably misidentified planet Jupiter which was uh, later changed to optical condition or inversion and insufficient data. Now, his report was forwarded to Project Blue Book. This, yeah, yeah this, Project Blue Book, baby. And we all know this was the U.S. Air Force UFO research project, right? Yes. A lot of interesting submissions given there, which we'll touch on in another episode. What's his name again? Ed, Ed something? Ed, Ed? The guy in charge of Blue Book? Ah, I can't remember. Uh, but yeah. he, he was actually in... Um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Was he the one playing the organ? <laughs> I can't remember his name now. But anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, <clears throat> meat's kicking in. Um, within days of the encounter, Betty borrowed a UFO book from a local library. I didn't know you. They had them back then. <laughs> I mean, geez. I mean, you know, what did they have? Let me see here, buddy. Let me go to the library. Cows, how to raise your cow, how to milk a cow. Recipes for cheese, 101 cheese soups. How to brew your own beer. So Betty borrowed a UFO book from a local library. It had been been written by retired Marine Corps. uh, It had been written by retired Marine Corps Major Donald E. Kehoe, who was also the head of the NICAP. 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 A civilian UFO research group. On September 26th, Betty wrote to Kehoe and she related the full story, including the details about the humanoid figures that Barney had observed through the bon- through the binoculars. Betty wrote that she and Barney were considering. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm so- go ahead. Go ahead. So uh, Betty wrote that she and Barney were considering hypnosis to help recall what had happened. Her letter was eventually passed on to Walter W. I'm sorry, Walter N. Webb, a Boston astronomer and NICAP member. Now, Webb met with the Hills on October 21st, 1961, and had a six-hour interview with the Hills. And in this interview, the Hills related all they could remember of the UFO encounter. Um, Barney asserted that he had developed a sort of mental block and that he suspected there were some portions of the event that he did not wish to remember. Oh. Yeah, apparently uh, some some stuff went down. Maybe it was a little jungle fever. <laughs> a little jungle loving. Jungle loving. Um... <laughs> So he described in detail all that he could remember about the craft and the appearance of the somehow not human figures aboard the craft. Don't forget the tights. The, in the shiny Do not tights. forget the tights. With the, with the cap, with Matt the black tights. cap, right? Yeah. Um, Webb stated that they were telling the truth and that the incident probably occurred exactly as reported, except for some minor uncertainties and technicalities that must be, that must be tolerated in any such observations where human judgment is involved. 
for example, exact time, length of visibility, apparent sizes of the object and occupants, black tights, caps, <laughs> distance of height of object, so, so on and so, so forth. So in other words, what they mean to say is... Uh, take this story with a huge grain of salt. <laughs> yep. That's what yep. they're trying to say here. Because it's like, guys, 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 put the cheese down. Put right. the cheese down. We got a report from some of these. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let, let, let's go take the report. But, you know. I mean, again. Just keep that in let, mind. Let, quote, unquote, such observations where human judgment is involved, meaning the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, everything. Right. Is that a UFO? Or is that cheese? It's a pancake. Never in any I, I've I've you know I've I've listened to um, you mentioned him earlier Art Bell I've listened to George Dory here on Coast to Coast. Never heard. Uh, it's always what cigar. Yeah, cigar Tic Tac. How okay? We're, I, I've never seen these two people. Were they? I'm, I'm sorry. I, I hate to be disrespectful. Were they fat? <laughs> no. Never. No, Nobody's no. described a UFO. You know what? Bonnie, it was a pancake. <laughs> Nobody's ever described that. Maybe she was it's hungry. It's always a cigar. It's always a round shape. Nobody ever says it's a pancake or, or what? Aluminum saucer, flying saucer. That was a huge thing in the fifties. Flying saucers, right? Well, dude, I mean, they were smoking pot, man. I mean, maybe they were. They had the munchies, you know. They were thinking pancakes. Shit, it makes sense to me. <laughs> Ten days after the alleged UFO encounter. Betty began having a series of vivid dreams. They continued for five successive nights. Never in her memory had she recalled dreams in such detail and intensity, but they stopped abruptly after five nights and never returned. They occupied her thoughts during the day. When she mentioned the Barney, he was sympathetic, but not too concerned, and the matter was dropped. Betty did not mention them to Barney ever again. Barney, I got these dreams, Barney. It's nothing, honey. It's nothing, honey. Here's some oh, cheese. Go to bed. Oh, Barney. Okay. <laughs> cheese. <laughs> in, in 1961, Betty began writing down the details of her dreams. In one dream, she and Barney encountered a roadblock and men who surrounded the car. She lost consciousness but struggled to regain it. Then she realized that she was being forced by two small men to walk in a forest at night. Small men, were they Mexican? Hey, oh, hey Betty, vamonos, come on. Apurate, let's go. That far up, they probably were Canadians. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's go, eh? It's a boot time. Um, it's a boot. <laughs> the men stood about five feet, four to five feet inches tall and wore matching blue uniforms with caps similar to those worn <laughs> by military cadets. What's up with all the caps? <laughs> Black cap, blue clap, cap. Uh, yeah, this sounds like a 50s movies to me. I, I don't know. Man. I, 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 what, yeah. Were they real pointy caps? You know, aluminum foil? Yeah, yeah, I think so. They appeared near the human with black hair, dark eyes, prominent noses, and bluish lips. Their skin was a grayish color. Ah, so that answers your question, Tim. The grays. They were grays, yes. Okay, so yes. they were the technical ones. Yes. Right on. Right on. In the dreams, Betty, Barty, and the men walked up a ramp into a disc 
shaped craft of metallic appearance. Once inside, Barney and Betty were separated. She protested and was told by a man she called the leader that if she and Barney could be examined together, it would take much longer to conduct the exams. She and Barney were then taken to separate rooms. Ha ha, separate fun. <laughs> Betty then dreamt that a new man, similar to the others, entered to conduct her exam with the leader. Betty called this new man the examiner. Mm. And she's and said he had a pleasant, calm manner. Though the leader and the examiner spoke to her in English, the examiner's command of the language seemed imperfect and she had difficulty understanding him. I mean, you got to figure they're millions of miles away. You got to figure that the uh, what is that? The uh, uh, stone rose? No, uh, what is it? Uh, that that language stone. Rosetta Stone, yeah, they probably don't have Rosetta Stone where they're from, you know, <laughs> to learn this. Uh, they didn't. They didn't take Babel. No, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, the examiner told Betty that he would conduct a few tests to note the differences between humans and the craft occupants. He seated her on a chair, and a bright light was shown on her. The man cut off a lock of Betty's hair. He examined her eyes, ears, mouth, teeth, throat, and hands. He saved trimmings from her fingernails. After examining her legs and feet, the man used a dull knife, similar to a letter opener, to scrape off some of her skin onto what resembled cellophane. That's kind of gross, man. I mean, <laughs> skin flakes? Eesh. <laughs> he, he then tested her nervous system, and he thrust a needle into her navel, which caused Betty agonizing pain, whereupon the leader waved his hand in front of her eyes, and the pain vanished. Pain be gone. <laughs> the examiner left the room, and Betty engaged in conversation with the leader. She picked up a, a book with rows of strange symbols that the leader said she could take home with her. She also asked from where he came, and he pulled down an instructional map dotted with the stars. In Betty's dream account, the men begin escorting the hills from the ship when a disagreement broke out. The leader then informed Betty that she couldn't keep the book, stating that they had decided that the other men did not want her to even remember the encounter. Betty insisted that no matter what they did to her memory, she would one day recall the events. She and Barney were taken to their car, where the leader suggested they wait to watch the craft's departure. They did so, then resumed their drive. Man, it almost sounds like they roofied her, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey. Not, I mean, not for the perv stuff, but I mean, if they're scraping her and examining her and stuff, I mean, damn, that's pretty bad. <laughs> So, on November 25th in 1961, the Hills were again interviewed at length by NICAP members. This time, C.D. Jackson and Robert H. Homan, not human, Homan, having read Webb's initial report, Jackson and Homan had many questions for the Hills. One of their main questions was about the length of the trip. Although the Hills had noted that they had not arrived home later than the anticipated 178-mile drive should have taken, which is about four hours, they did not realize that they had arrived home seven hours after their departure from Colebrook. 
When Homan and Jackson noted this discrepancy uh, from the Hill's account, the couple had no explanation, a phenomenon ufologists usually call missing time. The Hills claimed to recall almost nothing of the 35 miles of the U.S. route between Lincoln and Indian Head and Ashland. Both claimed to recall an image of a fiery orb sitting on the ground. Betty and Barney reasoned that it must have been the moon, but Homan and Jackson informed them that the moon had set earlier in the evening. Now, the subject of hypnosis came up, and it was decided that it should be carried out in order to recover previously irretrievable memories, and Barney was apprehensive, but thought it might help Betty put to rest what Betty described as the nonsense about her dreams. But by February 1962, the Hills were making frequent weekend drives. The Hills were making frequent weekend drives, say that three times fast, <laughs> to the White Mountains, hoping that revisiting the site might spark more memories. They were unsuccessful in trying to locate the site where they recall seeing the fiery orb. However, they were able to eliminate several possible routes. They found what they claimed was the capture site on Labor Day weekend in 1965. So I, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. So um, time displacement. Um, now, do you believe that this is more of, okay, we're, we're, we're put back in the car at the same time that we left? Or we just can't remember what happened and then we put back in the car at the time like say it's five hours they were on this ufo right so what i would liken that to is i mean you know <clears throat> i'm not claiming to be an angel i never have claimed to be an angel so i have history and part of that history was back <laughs> in my youth i used to um let's just say i used to partake of the devil's lettuce okay and one of the phenomena that I used to encounter, which is part of the reason why I stopped, um, okay, uh, I used to smoke out. So I would smoke pot, right? And and part of why I stopped was I would do this, what I w would often call having the moment of clarity high, which would mean like I would smoke out and let's just say it was 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. exactly. Okay. Okay. So then I'd be sitting down in my bed watching TV and for whatever reason, I would have like I would black out and I would look and it'd be like 12 o'clock and I'm like oh shit an hour just passed by like what happened and I would be more like okay then I'd be focused like it's like imagining like you're focusing a light and it, you get the light and then it kind of blurs out so that's what I equate this to be like you know one minute you're sitting in the car driving and it's 6.01 p.m. and then next thing you know your next memory or conscious memory it could be like 6 30 or 7 okay. or maybe 8 o'clock right so that's where those gaps of time are missing not not to say that the clock rewinds and they're like okay they stop you at 6 and then next thing you know you know like you look back and it's like 559 or, or, or 601 right like i think you're aware of the time that things happen but then later on when you focus on the time again it's like much later and you're like oh shit where did that time go because although their technology, I'm sure, is really awesome, yeah, I don't think they have time machines. Like, there's no flux capaci <laughs> capacitor in their fucking StarCraft, right? You know, no Christopher Lloyd in there going, come on, 6.1 gigawatts, Marty. You know, so I don't know, man. That's just my that's just my two cents. I'm just curious as to what the first time uh, the time displacement was um, mentioned if if any of you listening have the uh, story of the first time displacement i'd like to hear that because this 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 is clearly a reoccurring event in in abductions and i'd like to kind of see why get to the core of why that happens 
but um, I mean, you know, hey, uh, I, clearly, when when if you're getting abducted, obviously time time is gonna you know, keep going on forward. Um, but yeah, this seems to be a recurring thing in each uh, uh, UFO abduction. Very fascinating. I, I just think, man, I, I personally think that it's just whenever this stuff happens, you know, be it like, you know, an abduction or a UFO sighting, at some point, dude, Will Smith pops up, dude, and he has you, <laughs> he has you look in the light, and then, you know, the time goes away. So, uh, yeah, that's just, that's just what I think, you know. Um, but on November 23rd, 1962, the Hills attended a meeting at the at the personage of their church where there was a guest speaker, Captain Ben H. Sweat of the United States Air Force, having had an interest in hypnosis. The Hills approached Sweet privately, Sweat, sorry, they, the Hills approached Sweat privately and related their strange encounter. Sweat was particularly interested in the missing time of the Hills account. Ah. Yeah, he, he was interested. Um, so the Hills asked if he would hypnotize them to recover their memories, but Sweat declined and cautioned them against going to an amateur hypnotist such as himself. Interesting. Yes. So, okay, uh, look, here's the thing. So on March 3rd, 1963, the Hills first publicly discussed the UFO encounter with a group at their church. Barney, you got the church offerings? I got the flapjacks. <laughs> and where's the cheese? <laughs> on on seven, September 7th, 1963, Cap Captain Sweat returned and gave a formal lecture on hypnosis to a meeting at the Unitarian Church. After the lecture, the Hills told him that Barney was going to a psychiatrist, a Mr. Stevens, whom he liked and trusted. Captain Sweat suggested that Barney ask Stevens about the use of hypnosis in his case. When Barney ne next met with Stevens, he asked about hypnosis. Here we go. Uh-oh. Stevens referred the Hills to Benjamin Simon of Boston. Boston. <laughs> On November 3rd, 1963, the Hills spoke before an amateur UFO study group, the two-state UFO study group in Quincy Center, Massachusetts. The Hills first met Simon on December 14th, 1963. Early in their discussions, Simon determined that the UFO encounter was causing Bar Barney far more worry and anxiety than he was willing to admit. Interesting. Mm. Though Simon dismissed the popular extraterrestrial hypothesis as impossible, it seemed obvious to him that the Hills genuinely thought that they had witnessed a UFO with human-like occupants. Simon hoped to uncover more about the experience through hypnosis see this is where i have a real big problem with this it's like okay is it a mental block that the aliens put in because the thing is this is a very traumatic I, I, again i'm not doubting that this happened I, i'm not i'm not i'm not being a um how do you say it disprover or disbeliever or like, as as uh, the late great um stanton friedman would say i'm not a noisy negative uh, uh negativist but hypnosis is always seems to come up and they can remember every detail. I mean, that's true. And, and one theory that I've heard is depending on the amateur hypnotist, like what happens is, yes, they put you in this hypnotic state, which, okay, I'm personally, I'm on the fence on, but apparently there's data to show that it's a thing. It happens. Okay. You, you can be hypnotized, right? So... It's, it's a think of it like this you have an amateur and this is what happens rather than 
pull the, in, the the memories out. Let's just say I'm hip, hypnotizing you, Tim, right? Tim Burger. Yeah, yeah. So I get you in that state. At that point, your mind is open to suggestions. So I could be like, so Tim Burger, when you were on Route 105, is it true you saw a blue UFO? And you're going to be like, yeah, I saw uh, a blue yeah, UFO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, right? I got you. So in I essence, rather than be pulling this this memories out from you, I think they're planning them. I think it's the complete opposite. I mean, again, mm. do I know this for a fact? No. But when you look and listen to some of these tapes, it's like, you know, you saw, was it three or four extraterrestrial you know like yeah. so you're putting that in okay. there so the subconscious is going oh yeah 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 it was four okay yeah. it's kind of suggestive yeah that, okay i got that, you that's what i'm thinking man you know so interesting so I, i'm you know i'm just saying so with that being said you know simon began hypnotizing the hills on january 4th of 1964 he hypnotized both betty and barney several times each and the sessions lasted until june 6th Simon conducted the sessions on Barney and Betty separately so they cannot overhear one another's recollections. At the end of each session, he reinstated amnesia. So with Barney's sessions, it was different, right? Um, I guess Simon hypnotized Barney first. His recall of witnessing non-human figures was quite emotional. And if you, there are some tapes that you can hear on YouTube. Um, I'll try to find a, a post to the link and put it in the, in the notes to this podcast. But if you listen to it, his uh, his his testimony or, or his uh, sessions, they were they were very emotional and they were punctuated with expressions of fear, a lot of emotional outbursts and, you know, a lot of screaming and moaning. Oh, my. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Right. So Barney said that due to his fear, he kept his eyes closed for much of the abduction and physical examination. Now, based on these early responses, Simon told Barney that he could not remember or that he would not remember the uh, hypnosis sessions until he was certain he could remember them without being further traumatized. Now, under hypnosis, Barney reported that the binocular strap had broken when he ran from the UFO back to his car. He recalled driving the car away from the UFO, but that afterwards he felt irresistibly compelled to pull off the road and drive into the woods. He eventually sighted six men standing in the dirt road and the car stalled with three of the men approaching the car. They told Barney not to fear them. Now, this part is funny. How do they know English? They really let, you know, that Rosetta Stone, I'm telling you, man, like, (laughs) uh, you know, how do they know Barney spoke English? Maybe he was Puerto Rican. Maybe he spoke Spanish. (laughs) You don't know. Right. So they told Barney not to fear him, fear them. And, but he was still anxious. However, And he reported that the leader told Barney to close his eyes. While hypnotized, Barney said, I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. Makes no sense to me, but okay. Barney described the beings as generally similar to Betty's hypnotic recollection. The beings often stared into his eyes and uh, with, with, with a mesmerizing, terrifying effect. Now, under hypnosis, Barney said things like, Oh, those eyes, they're in my brain. From his first, oh yeah, he said some weird shit, right? And he also said, I was told to close my eyes because I saw two eyes coming close to mine and I felt like the eyes had pushed into my eyes. All I see are these eyes. Like he was just talking about eyes. All I see are these eyes and I'm not even afraid that they're not connected to a body. They're just there. They're just up close to me, pressing against my eyes. Woo! So apparently I had a thing for eyes. And uh, Barney related that he and Betty were taken into the disc shaped craft where they were separated. He was then escorted to a room by three of the men and told to lie on a small small rectangular exam table. 
Barney's narrative of the exam was fragmented. He continued to keep his eyes closed for most of the exam. Now a cup-like device was placed over his genitals. <laughs> Penis pump. I'm just saying. He did not experience an orgasm, though Barney thought that a sperm sample had been taken. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave that there. The men scraped his skin and peered into his eyes and mouth. A tuber cylinder had been inserted into his anus and quickly removed. See, there's always probing, man, I'm telling you. Every alien thing, there's always probing. So, uh, just relax here. Uh, we're going to put this cup on you. So, we're about to play some intergalactic football. So, uh, don't worry <laughs> about anything here. You're, you're fine. We're not going to do anything further. But, uh, yeah, we just need, you need this cup. Yeah. Right? What is it? Uh, one man, three cups? two cups we gotta warn you we don't play football in zeta reticula the way you play in la yeah the rules are a little different yeah okay a little different giving you a little warning there and the cheerleaders uh you're not gonna like those either (laughs) so all right so then i guess someone felt his spine and seemed to be counting his vertebrae apparently they were poking him with this object and each time they poked it it seemed like they were counting his vertebrae Uh, now while betty reported a conversation with the leader in english Barney said that he heard them speaking in a mumbling language he did not understand. Maybe it was Canadian. I don't know. (laughs) Betty also mentioned this detail. The few times they communicated with him, Barney said it seemed to be thought like a thought transference, right? Kind of telepathy, telepathy, right? Gotcha. Now, at that time, he was unfamiliar with the word telepathy. Um, But both Betty and Barney stated that they hadn't observed the being's mouths moving when they communicated in, in English with them. So it was obviously mental he recalled being escorted from the ship and taken to his car and in a daze he watched the ship leave barney remembered a light appearing on the road and said no no not again he recalled betty's speculation that the light might have been the moon though the moon had not set the moon had set several hours earlier he also stated that he attempted to produce the code-like buzzing sounds which seemed to strike the car's trunk a second time by driving from side to side and stopping and starting the vehicle his attempt was unsuccessful. Oh my. Right? Okay, so let's see here. So for Betty's hypnosis, um, Harris was similar to her five dreams about the UFO abduction, with some noticeable differences, mainly pertaining to her capture and release. Although the technology on the craft was different, the shortman differed significantly in the physical appearance. And the sequential order of the abduction deferred. Barney's and Betty's memories in hypnotic regression were, however, consistent with one another. You know, they lived together. <laughs> right? They lived together. They had no time to discuss this before going to the hypnosis. I mean, right? they probably sat down and go, okay, what's your side of the story? <laughs> Okay, I, I, I'm going to have skin scrapings and you're going to have a penis cup, okay? That's how this is going to work. Betty exhibited considerable emotional stress when recounting her capture and examination. Simon ended one session early because tears were flowing down her cheeks. Simon gave Betty the post-hypnotic suggestion that she could sketch a copy of the star map that she later described as a three-dimensional projection similar to a hologram. Though the map she saw had many stars, she drew only those that stood out in her memory. 
Her map consisted of 12 prominent stars connected by lines and three lesser ones that formed a distinctive triangle. She said that she was told that these stars connected by solid lines formed trade routes, whereas dashed lines were less traveled stars. So apparently they had highways and interstellar interstellar highways and interstellar like what uh, suburban areas, I guess. I mean, that's crazy, right? No, no, no. You don't want to go to Zeta Reticula. We got the good stuff here in M95, okay? We got the good <laughs> stuff here in M95. Just turn a couple miles here. Just take about 3 million miles, 3 million light years. We, we got some better stuff here, man. Yeah, just, you know, just travel down this pathway for <laughs> 8,000 light years and then hang a quick right <laughs> past the Dino's Burger and we'll see. <laughs> it's crazy, man. <laughs> After the hypnosis session, Simon speculated that Barney's recollection of the UFO encounter was possibly a fantasy inspired by Betty's dreams. Because again, they lived together, hence they, you know, they talked a lot. <laughs> Simon thought it was the most reasonable and consistent explanation. Barney, however, rejected this idea, noting that while their memories were consistent in some regards, there were also portions of both their narratives that were unique to each. Hence, skin scrapings penis cup you know that whole thing um, Barney was now ready to accept that they had been abducted by the occupants of a UFO though he never embraced it as fully as Betty did though the Hills and Simon disagreed about the cause of their distress they all concurred that the hypnosis sessions were effective the Hills were no longer tormented by abduction anxiety and when the Hills with a series of hypnosis sessions were complete Simon wrote an article for the Hills for the Journal of Psychiatric Opinion explaining his conclusion that the case was a singular psychological aberration. Well, I think that this is the one thing that I, I'll kind of concede to is that, you know, um, if nothing else, if nothing else with this, talking about it might have helped both of them just to kind of let it out. So that's the one thing I will, you know, whether it's true you know, or not, I'm pretty sure it helped to kind of talk about it. So I mean, it makes sense. Here. It really does make sense. Yes. So um, now there was a little bit of a, a, a falderall after this. So um, the Hills went back to their regular lives. They were willing to discuss the alleged UFO encounter with friends, family, and the occasional UFO researcher. But the Hills apparently made no effort to seek publicity. On October 25th, 1965, a front page story in the Boston Traveler. Boston. 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 <laughs> asked UFO chiller, did they seize couple? Reporter John H. Luttrell of the Traveler had allegedly been given an audio tape recording of the lecture the Hills had made in Quincy Center in like late 1963. Luttrell learned that the Hills had undergone, undergone hypnosis with Simon. He had also obtained notes from the confidential interviews the Hills had given to UFO investigators. On October 26, United Press International picked up Luttrell's story and the Hills earned international attention. In 1966, John Fuller secured the cooperation of the Hills and Simon wrote the book The Interrupted Journey, which I'm going to read after this, about the case. The book included a a copy of Betty's sketch of the star map. The book was a quick success and went through several printings. 
Barney died of cerebral hemorrhage on February 25th, 1969 at age 46, whereas Betty went on to become a celebrity in the, in the UFO community. She died of cancer on October 17th, 2004, age 85, never having remarried. I mean, you would have think, dude, like if they were so close with the aliens getting probed and examined and all that, you would think the gray guys would be like, hey, just a heads up, dude. You're going to have a hemorrhage. You got some shit going on with your brain. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Wouldn't something have come up? They're the advanced technology. They're millions of light years away and all the rest of that. That's a good point. Right? That is a good, that man. I'm just saying, and maybe the cancer, like maybe like, hey, just give you a heads up, girl. You're predisposed. All right. You might want to, might want to keep that in check. Barney, Barney, we came millions of miles you know, we're no expert. <laughs> you might want to get that checked out. It's like, you know, hey, call your general practitioner, man. Look at that thing. You know, it's going to happen. <laughs> now, don't mind us while we spread them and look up in you. Oh, Lord. I'm just saying. Because, no, they, they, yeah, I think it was also documented, man. He talked about they were checking out his rectum, man. Like, yikes. Because I know when I travel somewhere real far away, first thing I want to do is start examining orifices, man. You know, I'm just saying. <laughs> Aye. Not going on vacation with you. But yeah, okay. well, yeah, you, might, you <laughs> might be surprised. You might like it. You know, <laughs> I'll wear my my shiny black suit. <laughs> I won't wear the cap though. Uh, in 1968, Majory Fish of Oak Harbor, Ohio, read Fuller's book *Interrupted Journey*. Fish was an elementary school teacher and an amateur astronomer. Now she was intrigued by the star map. Fish wondered if it might be deciphered to determine which star system the ufo came from assuming that one of the 15 stars on the map must represent earth's sun fish constructed a three-dimensional model of nearby sun-like stars i.e stars deemed to have characteristics that could support life such as thought such as those found on earth interesting right and, and not bad for an elementary school teacher um using thread and using thread and beads Basing stellar distances on those published in the 1969 Glee Star Catalog, studying thousands of vantage points over several years, the only one that seemed to match the hill map was from the viewpoint of the double star system of Zeti Reticuli, about 39 light years from Earth. So now this is very interesting because I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Bob Lazar story, mm-hmm. but Bob Lazar had mentioned uh, the fact that... Um, the aliens might have came from Zeta Reticuli. So I'm curious. See, now this this is you know kind of a, a parallel in these two stories. So there may be some truth to that. It could be a thing. Yeah. I always thought Zeta Reticuli. Man, I thought it was like a like Star Trek or some shit. Like you know, I thought it was just made up. I mean, you know, once we started del- delving deep into all these things, I mean, it's you know, it's a common thread. He he always mentioned that. I I I. I can't quite remember. It's such a long time ago, but the aliens came in from Zeta Reticuli. Was he was he Canadian? I think Bob Lazar was from. Uh, actually, I think he's from California. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I built I built a hydrogen rocket uh, out of my car in hey. the '80s, and that's when I got the attention of uh, Teller. Hey, you got the cheese? <laughs> I'm Betty. I just pissed off a ton of ufologists right now. That's all right. They're not listening. Um, 
<laughs> it's more actually i think it's more the bigfoot people that listen listen to us it's crazy oh. Okay. Um, but we're changing that. We're changing that. Well, then I'll, I'll continue on with my Bob Lazar uh, uh, impersonation. Then yes, please do. The missile silos that I was encountering, and then they had Element. Was it one fifteen? Uh, sure. Element one fifteen. Anyway, all right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's go. <laughs> so fish, <laughs> fish sent her analysis to Web. Agreeing with her conclusions, Webb sent the map to Terence Dickinson, editor of the, of the magazine Astronomy. Dickinson did not endorse Fish and Webb's conclusions, though, but for the first time in the journal, for the for the for, for the first time. <laughs> Get through it, man. Come on, dude. I'm trying. Sorry. I'm telling you that mead. But for the first time in the journal's history, Astronomy invited comments and a debate on the UFO report started. Now, it started with an opening article in the December 1974 issue. For about a year afterward, the opinions, the opinions page of astronomy carried arguments for and against Fish's star map. Notable was an argument made by Carl Sagan and Steven Soder arguing that the star map was little more than a random alignment of chance points. In the episode of Cosmos in 1980, Sagan demonstrated that without the lines drawn in the maps, the hill map bore no resemblance to the real life map. In contrast, those more favorable to the map, such as David Saunders, a, a, statis, a statistician, <laughs> I know I butchered that, claimed that a match among 16 stars of the specific spectral type among the thousand stars nearest the sun is at least 1,000 to 1 against. Whew. <laughs> <laughs> In the early 1990s, the European Hipparchos, the high-precision parallax collecting satellite, uh, which measured the distances to more than 100,000 stars around the sun more accurately than ever before, showed that some of the stars in Fish's interpretation of the map were in fact much further away than previously thought. One researcher revealed that some stars counted by Fish as likely to host life would have had to be excluded by, their own, by her own criteria while some of the other stars had been discounted by fish have been recognized as potential abodes for life. Results such as these led fish herself to reject her hypothesis in a public statement. Now, the 1966 publication of Interrupted Journey by John G. Fuller details much of the Hill's claims. Excerpts from the book were published in Look magazine, and the book went on to sell many copies and greatly publicized the Hill's account. Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience by Betty Hill's niece and founder of the Mutual UFO Network, Kathleen oh, Martin. Wow. Yeah, move on. Interesting. Right. Uh, Kathleen Martin further explored Fuller's themes along with scientist Stanton T. Friedman. Now that's wow. the guy you were talking about. I, I just want to shut down all the nasty, noisy negativists out there. There you go. Uh, no disrespect, man. We love Stanton Friedman, man. Yep. God rest in peace. Uh, he had he had that killer beard. <laughs> uh, Martin knew Betty well and had spoken with her at great length about the encounter. She examined the historical records and scientific reports pertaining to the case and, and transcribed the Hills hypnosis and transcribed the Hills hypnosis sessions with Benjamin Simon for her detailed comparative analysis. So okay, here we go. Now. Just like anything else, uh, there's going to be some kind of uh, argument here. So, yes. In rebuttal to the Hill's accounts, psychiatrists later suggested that 
The supposed abduction was a hallucination brought on by the stress of being an interracial couple. Hey, I hey, might have been right there. You called it. You did call it. In the early 1960s, United States. Betty discounted this suggestion, noting her relationship with Barney was happy and their interracial marriage caused no notable problems with their friends and family. Simon thought that the Hill's marital status had nothing to do with the UFO encounter. Hmm. Jim McDonald, well, he sounds like one of those nasty, noisy negativists. Anyway, Jim McDonald, a resident of the area in, the, in which the Hills claimed to have been abducted, has produced a detailed analysis of their journey, which c- concludes that the episode was provoked by their misperceiving an aircraft warning beacon on Cannon Mountain as a UFO. Through binoculars, by the way. Yeah, I, I thought that was a uh, uh, warning bacon. <laughs> Not to be confused with Kevin Bacon. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> McDonald notes that from the road the hills took, the beacon appears and disappears at exactly the same time the hills describe the UFO as appearing and disappearing. The remainder of the experience is ascribed to stress, sleep de- deprivation, and false memories recovered, quote unquote, yes. under hypnosis. See, like I said, they're planning those quote-unquote memories i mean if you suggest it right yeah you know if you suggest that i get go to uh uh, mcdonald's and grab a big mac hey i'm all for it man let's go (laughs) if you do grab me one too (laughs) (laughs) so uh let's see here so the the remainder of the experience is is described as stress sleep deprivation and false memories recovered under hypnosis after reading mcdonald's recreation recreation ufo expert Robert Schaefer writes that the Hills are the poster children for not driving when sleep deprived. McDonald's <laughs> article focuses primarily on the Hills observations of the light in the sky and the timing of the journey. Discounting the Hills accounts of close encounters south of Cannon Mountain as recovered memories. Skeptical inquirer columnist Robert Schaefer wrote, I was... At the National UFO Conference in New York City in 1980, at which Betty presented some of the UFO photos she had taken. Oh, she had time to take pictures? That's, that's crazy. I thought she was running away and getting her dress torn off. <laughs> Throwing her window up. Yeah. <laughs> she showed what, it must, what must have far more than 200 slots, really. Mostly of blips, burlers, and blobs against the dark background. These were supposed to be UFOs coming close, chasing her car, landing, etc. After her talk, he had exceeded about twice the, the it's a lot of time. Betty was literally jeered off the stage in what had been the first of a sympathetic, at first, a sympathetic audience. This incident, with the, witnessed by many UFOlogies leaders and top activists, removed any lingering doubts about Betty's credibility. She had none. Ooh. Yeah, man. They, they, oof, she, she lost her, her following real quick. It's a fine line. Yeah. It's a real fine line. I mean, you know, this, this subject here, I mean, you know, um, it, again, I believe that something happened to them. But, um, yeah, to be, yeah, that, that's kind of, you know, I mean, at the same token, I mean, it's clear that you and I have an open mind, but uh, when you go to these conventions, you got to have an open mind, clearly. Yeah, I mean, especially if all she had was the three Bs, blips, blurs, and blobs. I mean, you know, that, that doesn't say much, dude. I, I could produce a bunch of slides with some three Bs. You know, it doesn't mean that it's true. So, 
it's a tough crowd, man. And it's definitely a tough subject to try to prove. So in 1995, Betty Hill wrote a self-published book, A Common Sense Approach to UFOs. It is filled with delusional stories such as seeing entire squadron of UFOs in flights and, tr- and a truck levitating above the freeway. Schaefer later wrote that as, as late as 1977, Betty Hill would go on UFO vigils at least three times a week. One evening, she was joined by we- UFO enthusiast John Oswald. When asked about Betty's continuing UFO observation, Oswald stated, She's not really seeing UFOs, but she is calling them that. On the night we went out together, Miss Hill was unable to distinguish between a landed UFO and a streetlight. In a later interview, Schaefer recounts that Betty Hill wrote, UFOs are a new science, and our science cannot explain them. Robert Schaefer released 48 pages of archived documents relating to Betty and Barney Hill, Benjamin Simon and Philip J. Class on the internet on December 23rd, 2015. See now, yeah, this is again what I was saying that to find line because the thing is when you're reporting something like this or where you're uh, giving your account, you've got to be really careful because the thing is if you're seeing them all the time and nobody else is seeing them. Now again, I'm not I'm not saying I don't believe her, but if you're seeing them all the time and nobody else is seeing them, I have to say you are you will lose credibility then. So, um, you know, this it's it's i'm really i'm really sad by what happened to her but you know at the same token yeah when you do that i I, i'm sorry to say yeah man you got to come correct i mean especially if saying oh ufos are a new science and our science cannot explain them well i can explain them street light (laughs) you know light bulb electricity (laughs) pancake (laughs) pancake yes Uh, but in his 1990 article, Entirely Unpredisposed, Martin Notmeyer suggested that Barney's memories revealed under hypnosis might have been influenced by an episode of the science fiction television show, Wow, The Outer Limits. Now, one specifically titled The Bellaro Shield, which was broadcast about two weeks before Barney's first hypnotic session. That's crazy. Right? So that That's tells crazy. you how they will find it. No. Okay. So real quick side note here. I'm currently writing a, uh, a movie screenplay. And um, that, that, that might not be too far off. Because normally I'm not spooked out. But I was writing alone last night. And I write about basically the occult. Okay. And... Um, Heard a lot of noises that I normally don't hear. Wow. wow. When I was, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that little suggestion, I'm sorry, but go ahead. No, you know, quick, quick side note. Um, I'd recently just recorded the podcast, you know, the Ouija board podcast. And while recording it, yeah, did that alone. And there was a day, man, the cats were spooked. I have a couple cats in case you don't know. And uh, they got a little spooked. So I don't know. I think when you're in that mindset, you're opening up yourself to be more receptive. Yeah, I agree. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) The episode featured an extraterrestrial with large eyes who says in all the universes, in all the unities beyond the universes, all who have eyes have eyes that speak. The report from the regression featured a scenario that was in some respects similar to the television show. In part, Kottmeyer wrote, Wraparound eyes are an extreme rarity in science fiction films. I know of only one instance. They appeared on the alien of an episode of an old TV series, The Outer Limits, titled The Bellaro Shield, 
A person familiar with Barney's sketch in The Interrupted Journey and the sketch done in collaboration with the artist David Baker will find a sort of a deja vu creeping up his spine when seeing this episode. Oh my. The resemblance is much abetted by an absence of ears, hair, and nose on both aliens. Now, could it be by chance? Consider this. Barney first described and drew the wraparound eyes during the hypnosis session dated 22nd of February 1964. The Bellaro Shield episode was first broadcast on the 10th of February 1964. Only 12 days separate the two instances. If the identification is admitted, the commonness of wraparound eyes in the abduction literature falls to cultural forces. When a different researcher asked Betty about the outer limits, she insisted she had never heard of it. Kottmeyer also pointed out that some motives in the Hills account were present in the 1953 film Invaders from Mars. A careful analysis of Barney's description of the non-human entities that he observed reveals significant similarities between the Bifrost Man and Barney's descriptive details. Must have been the suits and the hats. <laughs> right. One must also take into account Barney's conscious, continuous recall of the entities he observed on the hovering craft. They were dressed in black, shiny uniforms and were somehow not human. Now, look, we, we, this is the thing with this show, this podcast. I know we're going to ruffle some feathers with what we're saying and what we're doing. The thing is this. If you're hearing this, you've heard of this before. Yep. Betty and Barney Hill, you're 45 to 65 or 75, okay? We're just trying to bring you something a little bit different, some different perspectives, make you laugh a little bit. We're not we're not discounting it, nor are we saying that it happened, but we are giving you some different possibilities here and, and also just trying to make you laugh as well. So. Yeah, and, and you know, to your point, Tim, yeah, I'm sure a lot of the, the story, the subject matter we're covering, yeah, people have heard it. If you have interest in this, you're going to seek this out and you're going to find it. And, you know, it's, it's just really crazy to think that this actually happened, you know, overall. Like, it, in, in my opinion, do you find this to be fact, fiction, or lunacy, or even both? If, if, you, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you have a CB radio, and you have SETI <laughs> as a, a screensaver. Yes. I actually right? had that for a while, yes. Okay. So, you, you know, it, you, you know this story. So, like I say, we're just trying to, you know, put a little different spin on it. So, we, we hope you guys enjoyed this. But, yeah, Tim, I mean, like, okay, all fun and jokes aside, like, really, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you, do you think it's true? Do you, like, I mean, I, I'm on the fence. Like, I, I, yes, I do believe that maybe some of these memories were planted. But, and there are seem to be a lot of, you know, coincidental instances and in like this description of the aliens and stuff like that. But I mean, really at the time, there wasn't a whole lot of alien abduction stories, right? I think this was the first one yeah. in, the, in the States. So, yeah. so they were kind of the, the trendsetters, if you will, like, you know, they kind of laid that out. So it's, it's the things that get me is like the stupid outfits, you know? Yeah. I don't think they had Gucci wonky. up there, you know, there was no, uh. There's no Gucci or or or, or, or uh, was that the uh, Le Tiger up there? You know, so <laughs> they had uniforms. I mean, I personally like if you're if you're an entity, you know, you know, there's no need for 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 clothes. You know, so you're all natural. You're, mm. you're showing your shit. So I don't know, man. What are your thoughts? Um, it this is a tough one. I I you know the thing is, if you don't believe this one, then you you can't believe all the rest of them. 
Uh, I'm gonna say just like Roswell, something happened. Something? Uh, I, I'm not really sure what. Um, but, uh, you know, if they believe it, you know, again, there, there's a little lack of credibility as time went on. But uh, at least, you know, I made fun of Bob Lazar earlier, but he has the same story no matter where he goes. Yeah. Uh, and no matter how many times that he, he gets interviewed. So, yeah, it's, it's a tough one on this one. But I do believe something happened to them and it was traumatic and, you know, they, they've had some, some pretty rough times. I mean, that, 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 that had to be a rough go in the 60s um being an interracial couple so um yeah you know i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna kind of give some grace to both of them oh uh, that sounds good man that <laughs> sounds good well all right gang well let's sign off here and end this episode um don't forget boils and ghouls we'll be back here with a new episode in two weeks now please do us a favor show some support and follow our pack our podcast and uh set up your notifications to be reminded when the next episode drops Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to seeing you come back for the next one. Thanks a lot, guys. As always, if you have any ideas of subject matter that you would like us to cover, please don't be shy. Just go to our website at www.thelinebeginstheblur.com, and you can record your story on our Anchor message recorder. We can play that on our podcast. Or if you're feeling shy about sharing your voice with the world, you can always submit via written account using the submission form that will send us the deets directly to our email inbox. Also, we would like to thank our new sponsor, Devil's Hide. Please check out their site and show some support. You won't be disappointed, and with their awesome and creeptastic shirts, hoodies, hats, and accessories, you will definitely find something that tickles your fancy. Don't forget to use your special discount code, BLUR20, to get 20% off your order. We will be launching some Line Begins to Blur exclusives through them very soon. I will share that info with you once we are good to go. This episode was produced by me, Chris G, and most of the music and sound effects you heard today were provided by DJ Elite. Thanks for tuning in, and we look forward to having you come back. Until next time, take care, my friends. You've been listening to the Line Begins to Blur podcast with your host, Chris G. Join us every other week for new episodes.